This is a Federal News Network podcast. There's still a chance the Defense Department's multi-billion dollar household goods moving contract could get derailed by another round of bid protests at the Court of Federal Claims. But at the moment, it's full steam ahead. That's after the Government Accountability Office denied five separate protests last week. U.S. Transportation Command immediately lifted a stop work order. That lets winning vendor HomeSafe Alliance start the implementation process for the massive transformation of the military's moving system. Al Thompson is HomeSafe's CEO. He spoke with Federal News Network's Jared Serbu about some of those next steps. We're thrilled with the outcome. We think that U.S. Transcom has done a very thorough and professional job in considering all of the proposals. Uh, We're very pleased to be the awardee, and uh, we've been operating under a stop work uh, order since November, and they they, uh, canceled that. So we are moving forward quickly on activating and transitioning into the program. And before the protests were actually filed, I think the expectation was the contract would be fully implemented and moves would actually start happening under the new contract by late calendar year 2022. Protest, I'm sure, set that back a bit. Do we know how much? Uh, correct. The uh, The schedule right now calls to begin performing domestic moves in the United States in December of 2022, uh, starting with 25% of the moves in December. Uh, moving to 50% of the moves in January, 75% in February, and 100% in March. And uh, the current schedule then has a pause as we go into peak season uh, 2023 with the international moves then coming online under the global household goods contract uh, after the peak season ends, uh, so beginning in September. And the same uh, 25% to 50% to 75 to 100% over a four-month period of time. Interesting. Just out of curiosity, and I'm sure this is a transcom decision, is there a, a rationale for putting those international moves, those OCONUS moves, at the back of the line? Well, I think, uh, you know, the, the volume, the highest volume, of course, is domestic in the United States. So they want to address that as quickly as possible. Uh, I, I believe they've uh, determined that it would be wise to not have a transition from one way of support to a new way during the peak season. So I think that explains the desire for the pause. Got it. So as a practical matter, between now and December, what, what does HomeSafe actually need to do to get up and running? Well, um, many things. We have to uh, bring HomeSafe Connect to life, which is our end-to-end information technology solution, which is uh, the great enabler for performing on the global household goods contract. Uh, So we have teams working very hard on that right now to finish the development and then quickly move into testing, uh, which U.S. Transcom will then engage and do their own independent testing Uh, We also have an outside firm that will do penetration testing to meet uh, the operational requirements of the program, but also uh, to meet some very stringent cybersecurity requirements so that uh, we're absolutely certain that we're protecting uh, data for our military service members and their families. And what about getting contractual arrangements in place with individual moving companies and van lines? Does that still need to happen, or was that all done kind of pre-award as part of your bid package? 
Well, we have done uh, a substantial amount of work, but that also has to be completed during the uh, activation transition in period. And as you recall from the last time we spoke, it's uh, it's a vast network of many local uh, small business movers and and larger uh, companies that uh, that we need to bring together. So. Uh, we are already planning an outreach strategy where we'll be visiting a number of cities across the United States to meet with representatives of uh, industry and uh, assist them with becoming uh, members of the larger Home Safe Alliance team. And as I understand the way that you've previously described the technology to us, they will all need to adopt this IT platform that you're developing. Is that right? Yeah, that's the intent, and it's it's needed for several reasons. One, we want to make sure that, that we have a, a common user experience. Uh, we also have to meet these very stringent cybersecurity requirements, which are kind of new to the moving industry. Uh, and, and so we determined early on that trying to uh, interface a large number of uh, different systems would not allow us to meet the cybersecurity requirements. It's going to be a pretty big enterprise managing the entire military moving system worldwide. Do you have a good sense yet for how large a workforce you're going to need and what that staffing plan kind of looks like? Well, you're right. It is um, it is a huge undertaking, potentially 320,000 moves a year, um, you know, more than 2,500 uh, members of the team, subcontractors to home safe. Uh, the Home Safe Alliance itself will be smaller, uh, peak about 750 uh, members of the team at several locations across the United States. Uh, and, you know, we will expand the team for the peak summer move season. But, of course, thousands of movers below uh, Home Safe in the structure that will be uh, performing the mission. And what sorts of staffing needs are you going to have on the home safe team itself? Is it largely customer service? Is it largely technology? Some of both, I assume. Well, it is. It's a mixture of all. Uh, I mean, it is a standalone company. So uh, you'll have all of the supporting functions that would be required, uh, whether it be finance or human resources, procurement, uh, contract support, legal, uh, and so forth, information technology. Uh, but also, as you pointed out, uh, a significant customer uh, care capability, uh, because one of the things that uh, we're very focused on is providing the very best possible experience for our military service members, their families, and uh, Department of Defense civilians. So a very robust call center enabled by cutting-edge technology. Uh, and of course, as we talked before, interaction can also be through uh, mobile apps uh, on smartphones and other devices uh, that that will also ensure that uh, the, the customer is uh, always in touch with HomeSafe, knows what's happening when, and uh, if there are any concerns or questions or needs to adjust the schedule, we can do that immediately for our customers. And as you start to phase in and, and take on more of this workload, starting, as you said, with that 25% in December, what sort of 
quality control measures, measurements are you going to have in place to make sure that the moving experience actually is getting better? Yeah, and and that's very, very important because uh, two things from a customer standpoint that uh, will be apparent immediately is a a greatly enhanced uh, customer experience from the standpoint of interacting with HomeSafe and uh, being constantly updated on information that's useful to them related to their move. But also, uh, we want to incentivize the moving industry to meet our very high standards for quality. So we've developed a carrier quality index, uh, essentially a scorecard for each of our movers. We have a, a way of setting those at the beginning and then adjusting as we have uh, experience with the mover. There's a number of factors in there related to timeliness, um, uh, satisfaction, that sort of thing. And we'll adjust those as we go. And those with the highest uh, quality index scores will get more workload. And those that don't meet our standards, we have plans for a very robust outreach and uh, supplemental training so that we can get them to our standard. And we're convinced that the overall experience for our customers military uh, service member and their family should be greatly enhanced. Al Thompson, CEO of HomeSafe Alliance, speaking with Federal News Network's Jared Serbu. Check out Jared's story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by Melissa Bradley, the founder and managing partner at 1863 Ventures, an investment company focused on bridging entrepreneurship and racial equity, and accelerating new majority entrepreneurs from high potential to high growth. Additionally, Melissa is co-founder of Venture Back Eureka, a community where small businesses gain unprecedented access to the expertise needed to grow their businesses and has more than 20 years of entrepreneurship, investment, and leadership experience. Melissa, welcome and thank you for being here. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Who is the first person that you remember looking up to as a leader? And what was it about them that inspired you? So there are actually two people. Um, the first person personally was my mom. Uh, she was a single parent. And what I realized is that she was the leader of our household, but she was also the leader of our community. Um, she was a staunch advocate for children's rights in public schools, making sure that we got a quality education She was a staunch advocate around rights for renters. Um, We were not in a financial position that we actually ever owned a home, uh, but she made sure that people who lived in various types of housing, we were in regular housing, the people who were in regular housing, public housing, she made sure that their rights were advocated for um, and really just always kind of looked out for, I'll, I'll use air quotes, the little guy, while although we were the little guy. Uh, and then I would say she was a huge advocate of older folks. Um, as part of her job, she worked during the week uh, in a full-time job and then cleaned houses on the weekend, but also took care of elderly folks and a staunch advocate for elderly rights. Um, so that was probably the, the first leader. And then I would say the second leader 
that really came about professionally was a woman named Crystal, Crystal Gaskins, uh, who actually ran a headhunting temporary firm that I ended up spending about a year at, but quickly realized that was not my calling. But in a world where you are constantly managing the powers that be that want to hire all these people and move people around and the folks who are sometimes in vulnerable positions and obviously seeking a job, she always managed to treat everyone with the, with the ultimate respect. And part of the business was actually um, managing hotels and getting service workers to show up. And that's a tough job, right, to try to motivate people who barely are getting paid enough under not great conditions. Um, and so she taught me three things. She taught me how to be a motivator and that recognizing leadership is not mandating, but motivating. She taught me that leadership is not just reporting up, but also reflecting and supporting those who may be underneath you from a hierarchical structure. And she also taught me that leadership was not about money, uh, but it was about producing positive outcomes for whoever your customers were. And if you did that, then obviously the money would come. How would you describe your leadership style and how has that developed over the years? Hmm. I would describe it hashtag work in progress. Um, it, it has evolved over the years, I think, two ways. One, the more people I've been exposed to in leadership positions have certainly helped me pivot and make adjustments. And then certainly as my leadership roles have elevated and probably as the more people I've been responsible for has elevated, uh, you know, certainly being managing partner and founder of 1863 Ventures, we manage a lot of people. We have actually tripled our staff this year. And so we went from three people to oh, actually 12 people plus and growing. Uh, and we went from a couple hundred members to almost 10,000 members. And that's a big deal. Um, I, so my leadership style has evolved in terms of more people that I have reporting to me. I think it's, I, I focus on autonomy. I focus, I'm, I'm very clear that my role is to help other people be successful. Uh, I do set very clear deadlines. I am try to do a good job of kind of projecting what is the overall mission and vision, what are the KPIs and OKRs that we need to hit, and then I feel like I need to get out the way. I need not be a micromanager. I need to recognize, particularly since COVID, that people have kids, they have lives, they have ways that they know how they perform best, and so we now have people who work for me all over the world, and as long as we meet our deliverables, I don't need to know that you're sitting in a cubicle or sitting at your computer from nine to five, and that's because I've been at those nine to five jobs where I literally had nothing to do, but I knew I was told I had to be in the office uh, and it just seemed like a complete waste of time. And so I'm really laser focused on outcomes and productivity and advancing the vision and mission and not on what does it look like? Because I think successful work looks different for everyone. And then I would say more externally, as we now have grown to lots of members and we have a social media presence and I talk to people, I'm mindful that the, the probably the most important from an external uh, perspective on my leadership is that I am mindful that I am modeling, not just for myself, but particularly for other leaders and particularly Black women and certainly gay Black women. Uh, you know, there are not a lot of us. Um, you know, you mentioned that I'm a co-founder of Eureka, so I'm fortunate enough to be in the first 30 or so Black women that have been supported through venture capital, which is a sad statistic, but for a different topic. And so I'm mindful that people are always watching me. And I would say that certainly as a Black woman, people are always watching you, not always for the better and cheering you on, but waiting for you to make a mistake and slip up. And so I'm mindful that when I step into a room or I show up somewhere, I'm not just representing Melissa Bradley and my immediate family. I'm representing all of my members and potentially sending a single effect of what other people are going to expect 
as black women. And the final thing I would say that definitely has evolved since now that I'm over 50 uh, is that I feel a much greater freedom to say what's on my mind um, than I did before. And I, and I do that. I probably said what was on my mind before, but in a way that was reflective of my frustration and anger with the system. And now I say it with the expect, with the level of calmness and the expectation that it's important that we are honest around what do Black communities experience, and to phrase it in a way not based on anger, but really using data. And so I would say I've consistently been a staunch advocate for Black and Brown communities, but has evolved from being very reactive and saying, well, don't do this and don't do that, to saying, let me explain to you why I think it's important that we take this up and really letting the facts drive the discussion. Some of that probably comes from the fact that I've worked in two presidential administrations, and we all know that that just goes back and forth and often times based on rhetoric and not fact. And having six kids in a world of social media, I think there's something, the, the art of, of conversation based on facts and data has devolved to uh, opinions and pundits. And, and I think that's a challenge around leadership because your job is not, in my mind, to convince people, but to inform people and allow them to make decisions for themselves. I, I saw you on a post uh, with a Washington Post um, uh, interview, and it you were amazing. And it's interesting to listen to you describe what you just said, because I could see all of that reflected in how you responded there. And um, make one other quick uh, comment about as a company grows, WEPA is growing as well. And you are so spot on. We have, as, as leaders, we have to let go and trust those people that work for us and empower them to do their job and then let them roll. And that's not always easy. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. Love Target? Well, you're about to love it even more. Target's new Red Card Reloadable saves you 5% every Target trip, in-store and online, and doesn't require a bank account or credit check to get approved. Target.com slash Red Card to get all the details. Restrictions apply. 